The following message was given to the North Young Adult Group at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church slash Young Adults. So an email came to my inbox a couple weeks ago, and it had this headline on it. On average, people have three more social media accounts, three more social media accounts, than groups they belong to in real life. That's astounding to me. It then provided a prominent link, creating a level of FOMO, saying, here's how to make friends in real life. <laughs> so, <laughs> I clicked on it to see what sage's wisdom this article would bestow, and it came from a Christian business, so I clicked. And then the article goes on to say, like, psychology, how friends come through shared experiences, and as you get older, it's harder to find new people and have those shared experiences and have these really good friends. I think that's all fine and well. But that fact that, that, that we would maybe, I don't know about this room, belong to three more groups in social media than we do in real life, that's concerning. That's not how we were designed. And we don't need psychology alone to tell us that. So you'd ask, Ryan, what does having friends in real life, the supremacy of God, Jesus, and all things, plus the theme of being rooted in Christ, have to do with any of this? Well, you would say, I'm here, which you are. You have friends, which I believe. So what do you need to know? Well. I don't have anything to say on Christian relationships. That was the topic. And I think that we have a blueprint in the Bible, in these words, and even in our text today of Colossians 3, on what it looks like to have community together. And so I yearn for you to have friendships, but I yearn for this community to be one that reflects our God and Savior, Jesus. And I'm going to take off my Bible, otherwise this is going to be happening the entire time. Not the Jimbe. All right. So let's dive in. So if you grab your Bibles, open to Colossians I'm going to do a quick overview of the context. If you don't have your Bible, I'm not going to show it on the screen because I don't have a PowerPoint. And go ahead and open up your phone. You're going to have to multitask if you're going to take notes because I don't have a screen for you to take pictures. Okay. Paul's main aim for the Colossians is to be rooted and built up in Christ, established in faith and abounding in thanksgiving. And I get that in Colossians 2, 6 through 7. And this plays out for us believers by rejecting the ways of the world the, way, the world's ways of thinking and being and relating to one another and then embracing the way of Jesus. Throughout Colossians, Paul comes back to the life and work of Jesus, which we sung so beautifully in Living Hope, and that is the foundation for our living and moving and being in him as Christians. Specifically, we were buried in Christ's death, as he says in chapter 2, and we were raised to life, and we are called to look markedly different than the world around us. Also from the beginning of the book of Colossians, you'll notice there's this theme of knowledge, right? The knowledge of Christ, growing into this knowledge, maturing into this knowledge. And the first chapter is all about this knowledge, and that's what Pastor Sam did so well for us. Who is this Jesus? What is this knowledge? What is the subject, the essence of our knowledge? The second chapter covers what the life and work and Jesus means for the right thinking in our worldview. And today, in chapter 3, where we pick up, introduces what this knowledge looks like looks like in our actions and relations. And throughout this text, it'd be helpful to say Paul's going to use that metaphor of, like, clothing. Now, I'm not a big clothing person, but I know you take something off and then you put something on. So Paul's going to use this language of taking off this old self, like clothing. Like, we want to be done with this, and we want to put on something entirely brand new. And that's the imagery that Paul is going to use. So, here's my outline for us tonight. First, we're going to cover the old, and that's going to be in verses 7 through 11 of chapter 3. We're going to cover the new in 12 through 17, 
And then one way to do, and this is all in the context of friendships, relationships, and community here at Bethlehem and in the church. My main aim is that together we would put on the new self by teaching and warning one another through the scriptures. So the old one. When I say old, I mean the old self, the state each of us as believers were in before God decisively saved us. We were dead to sin, ready for God's wrath, unable to save ourselves, and able, unable to act in righteousness. And when God saved us, he opened our eyes by the power of the Spirit to recognize the redemption for our sins and be able to confess what? Our sins. Yes. And Jesus is Lord. Romans Road. Romans 10, 9, 9, 10. Something like that. But you're right. Declare Jesus as Lord. Confess our sins. Declare Jesus as Lord. So let's look at the old. Can I have somebody read verse 7 and 8 really loud and clear for us in chapter 3? <laughs> I think Bennett said he would do it. Cool. All right, so verse 7 and 8. And these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put away them, now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Thank you for graciously reading loud and clear. I heard it. Even today, just like Paul is reminding Colossians, you once walked in these old self ways. We had not yet received hearts to obey Christ. In our deadness to sin, we behaved as dead sinners. And we have this tension that we are already saved in Christ, and yet we still have this sinful nature. By nature and desire, we sin. But we're not just left there. We're saints. We're still covered by the blood of Jesus. So then Paul says, you once walked in those things when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And he lists five things here. And these would be, like word-speaking things, if you notice that. Um, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And what Paul is doing here is contrasting this old self. These are old ways that we would relate without Christ to one another, to other humans. These are ways that would rip us apart individually, but also a community. Have you ever been in a community that's healthy that exhibits any of these five things? I'm seeing a head nod, but I'm assuming that that's right. right. <laughs> well, in verse 5 and 6, he lists five more things. And those five things are sexual ways of being as humans that would also rip apart individuals and community. What Paul is listening here, 5 and 5, 10, this fullness. There's a fullness of vices that we had by nature and by desire as humans that would rip us apart from one another. We're not going to flourish as God's designed us. And by the grace of God, we would need to kill these things. Paul says, put them away, all away. And let's go into verse 9 and 10, and we'll I'll add some more comments. So someone else, can you please read? How about a sister this time? Can you please read 9 and 10 loud and clear for us? For us? Go for it. Sorry, I'm not looking up. Go for it. Please. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Thank you so much. Notice the wording here. So do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And then notice the next phrase, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You have put off. This has already taken 
this has already taken place in the past because believers have already had a change of identity. Christ has already washed us and saved us and taken us out. He's given us these hearts that we're not beating at all into beating hearts. We've had a qualitative change of identity. It now, though, present tense, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, it remains on us to bring our behavior in line with this new identity. We're still here, already but not yet. So brothers and sisters, our transformation through the knowledge of Christ is an ongoing process. And this process of progressive sanctification to shape us to look like Jesus is incredible. We're growing into the knowledge of him. And I just think this is beautiful. This is not really, it is in my notes, but I wasn't planning to go here. I, I love the word creator, the image of its creator. That should be a ding for us. And what Paul said in the first chapter was talking about how Jesus, the supreme one, created, sustains all things of the earth. And that should bring that imagery together, should bring us back to Genesis. And in Genesis, we are made in whose image? God, the image of God. That's right. I think Paul here is doing something so beautiful, saying not only are you made in the image of God as a human, but you find your fullest um, flourishing as a human by being made into the image of Christ. So yes, we're already made in the image of God. We look we're to be his agents, his regents in the world. But in this progressive taking off of the old, or is he putting on the new, is a way that we look like Jesus, the one who created us, the one who saved us. And I think that is just so beautiful that as we are trusting in the gospel, declaring Jesus as Lord, we're being made to look like the one who died for our sins, who loves us, who, as we'll see, the Father loves so perfectly. Okay, let's finish up, and we'll keep moving on in verse 11. I'll go ahead and read this one, and then we'll continue on. Verse 11, here there is not Jew or Greek and Jew, Circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Paul's point here at the end isn't that all identities that we have just, boof, go away all of a sudden. They are still real. They are still uh, realities. But his point is that the significance of a believer's transformation in Christ shows that there's this oneness in Christ. Not sameness, this oneness. And the distinction of Greek and Jew, or barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, these were actual dividing lines of community in that time. And Paul is saying, in Christ, those are not an issue. Those are insignificant. What is significant, who you should relate to in community, is those who are in Christ versus those who are not in Christ. So this is what the old looked like, and we as believers continue to press into the knowledge of Christ we turn from behaviors, thoughts, and heart sets of the old self. We take them off. And not just like a worn-out garment that's not cool to wear anymore. Like I was talking to Julie, and she's like, like that? No, not like something that's not cool to wear anymore. Something that's like stinky, like stings like death, that we just are so repulsed by, we got to take it off. Because we have new affections that are coming from our Savior. And so what do we put on? The new. So now we're going to go into... 12 through 17, and make some comments about the new. I'm going to read the first part of 12, and then we're going to stop suddenly. Put on then, so we take off these old things that we had, and put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And I was thinking about, did anybody go to Northwestern College in Orange City? 
Do you know of it? Yeah. Okay, that's great. So there's always, there's always one in the room, and that's apparently me tonight. So Northwestern College in Orange City is in the middle of cornfields, the middle of hog farms, and wait, did you say you went? You're from Orange City. Got it. Okay. Got it. You're, you're tracking with me, which is why I was so surprised. Okay. It's in the middle of cornfield and hog, hog farms. Is that accurate? Maybe. It wasn't. That's how I felt. I came from San Diego, so I felt like a cornfield. But as such, it has a really unique dorm culture. I don't know if that's true of other colleges. I haven't been to other colleges, so I wouldn't know. But you have these new students, freshmen or transfers, and they look like wherever they came. Me from San Diego, I look like a super kid. And within a couple weeks, a couple months, you can pick out, uh, you live in West Hall, don't you? You, you're definitely in Heemstra. Or, uh, you're in Colenbrander, aren't you? Or Hospers and Fern Smith and Steggy. You would be able to identify where these people live, what community they were immersed in. And I, th- I think that's a helpful image for me, at least, that... You come in as a believer and you're taking off the old. You no longer look like where you came from and you're putting on something new. So something that's so markedly different, somebody can look at you and say, ah, you're interacting with others differently. You must be of Christ. Or you're relating and talking in such a way that you should be really angry by those words right now and you're choosing to be patient and kind. That's remarkable. Paul is saying, put on... And then he pauses and says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. I think it's significant. Before he says what we are to do, think, act, believe, or I should say behave, he's telling us what our identity is. Hear this. Chosen. We can go to Ephesians 1, 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Or holy, set apart. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Or beloved, this is when Jesus is praying to God the Father in John 17, I may know to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. He stops and he says, you take off these old things, but let me remind you, you're chosen. You're holy, you're set apart for me, and you're loved. But I don't think those are just three random words. Throughout Scripture, these are what the writers of the Bible also call the people of God, Israel. They are a chosen people, they are holy, they're set apart, and they are loved of God in a different way. And it's the same way that we see Jesus, the true and actual better Israel, being called. He is chosen of God to come and save us from our sins. He is holy, set apart, because he is God, and he is deeply loved by the Father, in whom the Father is well pleased. But why this illusion? Why would this be helpful to see that we might be called the same things that Jesus himself is called? I was thinking about my seven-year-old son, JJ. You've probably seen him running around the halls here. And when he hears Dad likes this, Guess what he starts to like doing? That very thing. So, he was four years old, we got his first Lego set. What does he love to do all of a sudden? Legos. Dad likes going out for runs. What does he want to try to do? Runs. He identifies and says, I'm like you in this way. Maybe I want to do the things that you do. And I wonder if Paul is saying, 
Let me remind you of who you are in Christ. You're actually like Christ himself in your new ways of living and being and behaving. May that motivate us by the power of the Spirit to say, hmm, let me more and more put on these new things in Christ. All right, we got to keep going. Uh, can I have somebody, uh, I'll read these five words, then I'll have somebody read 13, 14, 15, so be ready for that. So we are to put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Here's another list of five from Paul. And at this, and this time, these are five behaviors or postures that we're to be clothed in that are good. And as we mature and grow in rootedness in Christ, these should be increasingly impaired in their life. And if you flip back to verse 8 and then verse 5 or 6, it's one of those two. These are like way different, like polar opposites than the other five that he says that we came out of and out of the old. They're not even close. And I, I know that's intentional because it's the old man taken off and the new man putting on. Can I please have somebody read loud and clear 13, 14, and 15 for us? Um, sure. Great. Thank you. <clears throat> yep, you got it. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Thanks, brother. The list continues. And in these ways of relating together in community, in this newness of life that we have in Christ, these are behaviors, actions, responses that are completely different than our human proclivities would have. These ways of acting will take patience and forgiveness. And so I'm thinking about community here. If someone you, you disagree with or that fails you or even sins against you, the world's not going to be super patient. They're not going to... Uh, forgive you maybe as quickly as we might as a body. And Paul is drawing these out for us. And above all, put on love. And so there's some, this picture of clothing, I was thinking it's really hot today, so this doesn't really work out kindly. But love is like this big parka that you put on in the winter that covers everything else, right? Like we have all these other behaviors that we're to put on. And more than all those, we're to put on love that binds these all together. And more than, in, in addition to that, continuing on from that, letting the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which you were called into one body. Christ himself is to rule every areas of our lives as we relate to one another. And this peace that passes all of our understanding as we go through being patient and kind and forgiving one another, loving one another, this peace that passes all understanding of the old man uh, can rule us, should rule us, will continually rule us because it comes from the Prince of Peace. So, I'm going to read the next couple of verses, and then we're going to uh, wrap up here, go into the one way to do. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Some more, some more, so here we see some more one another's of our life together on this new life that we're to put on. And I think this is what's astonishing to me. That as we put on, like I can, I can do some of these maybe with the power of the Spirit by myself. I can put on a compassionate heart as I relate 
with the Spirit's work. That's a sanctifying work, but I could do that probably individually. Mm -hmm. But as we go through these, we see this progression that it takes this community, this body, this uh, group of believers to one another put on Christ to be made into the image. And these are two really significant ones that we couldn't actually fully put on the new Christ alone. We need one another. Teaching one another. This would be administering specific words of Christ to real needs in other people's lives through the scriptures. Admonishing one another. This would be correcting or warning one another according to the truth that we see in scriptures. Speaking into each other's lives when we see something out of the line of the gospel. And then finally, there's this in the line of singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together. There's a lot of debate. Do we teach and admonish through singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, or we do teaching and admonishing and also song, uh, hymns and song, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? And I don't know, to be honest with you, but I think what Paul is trying to say is he's painting a picture of what this corporate gathering of believers should look like when we are doing these one another's, when we're putting on the new self in Christ. But he says a core aspect of that that's different than the world is by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Like we did today, those, those songs are so filled, so saturated with scriptural truth that it directs us into this new self that we are to put on. And we're going to circle back to this and spend the rest of our time talking about teaching and admonishing one another. But finally, everything that we are to do in verse 17 is to be done in the name of our Lord Jesus. He is to be the decider of all of our actions, behaviors, and decisions. And so as we grow into the knowledge of Christ, and as we do this, endeavor to do this imperfectly as we can, together being made and rooted and built up in Christ, we need one another for being made to look like Jesus. We can't do it alone. And Paul is reminding the Colossians. So you know of Jesus, you know of right thinking and worldview, and here's how you begin to relate to one another in this new gospel community that you have. Finally, one way to do, if you're taking notes, this is big bullet point three, and this is how we're going to apply this. And this is a rich text. I didn't even define all these words. I didn't go into how might we actually do this with one another, and I'm hoping that in a couple of weeks, I think Tim Tomlinson is coming. He's going to talk about heaven-mindedness. I think he's going to help us see deeper truths there. And it would be so life-giving and encouraging and convicting to go through that. But I have one way that I would urge us to apply this text. And not one, because I see, I think this is the only way. I actually think there's lots of ways that we could apply this text. I see it because it's a passion of mine, and it helps us think about what's this line of individually growing into the image of Christ, but doing that with one another. So let's go back and emphasize two phrases, and I get this from 16. Teaching one another, admonishing one another. So in this journey of already being saved from who we once were in the body of, or in the, in our deadness to sin, and not yet finishing our race and seeing Jesus face to face, we find ourselves needing to grow in Christ-likeness, or look like Jesus, or take off the old self in greater ways because it stinks, and put on the new self in Christ. And Paul says here, teaching one another and admonishing one another. But if you flip your, your Bible or scroll up, down, whatever that direction is, to 128, we see the same words that Paul says. And he says this, Him, referring to Christ, we proclaim, we being the, him and those he's with, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So here we have the same words in almost the same way. One is Paul saying, the leaders and I, we are 
teaching in the morning. And then here in 316, he says, one another. So it's not that just the pastors and the elders and the leaders and the teachers are to teach and admonish one another, to warn you. We're eager for that. But Paul says here, there's this dynamic that you're to do that with one another. That's really empowering and helpful because Paul is calling the Colossian believers, all of us, that if Christ is our Lord and his word is our treasure, then we would be able to use his message to shape our interactions and our conversations and relationships with one another. So how would we do this teaching, instructing the truth? How would we do this admonishing or warning with one another? I would say, I would submit to you, we could do this through discipleship. I love discipleship. Let's talk about this. Discipleship, I have five things. Uh, maybe I can send this out because I'll go through these quickly. But I would see one way to do this one another, teaching and admonishing one another through discipleship is intentional conversations together, applying the scriptures to our lives. Two, intentional pursuit of growth, being conformed to the image of our Savior, Creator, and Lord. Three, intentional opening of our hearts to meet real needs through Scripture. Four, intentional pursuit of each other to warn away from sin, away from drifting, away from failing to run with endurance our race of faith. And together, putting on the new self, teaching and warning one another through the Scriptures. And I think discipleship, at least in my mind, Oftentimes, and this is true, often takes there's an older, more mature believer saying, hey, you, come with me as I teach you. You're a younger, growing believer. And in fact, those five points, that would fit. But I think that it could be so much more, as Paul is saying here, one anothering, to make known the riches of the glory of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so what could discipleship look like? I have three personas that I go to, and you maybe heard of these. Paul. Timothy and Barnabas. Has anyone heard of those three categories? I'm seeing a couple of head nods. Well, great. Let's talk about them. So, Paul, I would encourage you to find a Paul, someone to disciple you. Mm. This is someone pouring, pulling you into their sphere, showing you the truths of Scripture, instructing and correcting your doctrine, working with you through your sins, showing you how a man can love his wife, how a wife can respect her husband, how to raise children, work in a vocation, share the gospel with unbelievers, Endure through trials, remain faithful through suffering, and engage in the church. And for me, this is men like my dad, Vince Rujek, Jim Joyner, Terry Burlingame, Brandon Manmarl, Dave Wicklin, and many others. And our church has two programs, one for women and one for men. For the women, it's called Titus II, and that's where they pair you with an older, mature woman who instructs you in this way, uh, disciples you. And for men, we're launching, we're, uh, you did a great job, thank you so much, Daniel, promoting men's discipleship. One of those is intentional discipleship, where we say, you want to grow intentionally with another older, faithful, mature man in the ways of God? We can pair you with somebody like that. So those are the two programs. My encouragement, find a Paul. Second, Timothy. Find someone to disciple. Find a Timothy. Fulfill the call to invest in others. I'm going to read you two scriptures, 2 Timothy 2.2 2, and then Titus 2.3-5. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then Titus 2.3-5. Older women, likewise, are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. 
that the word of God may not be reviled. So there's this call in scripture to one another through discipleship to pull along someone who needs to be pointed to Jesus, who this might look like one-on-one coffee. That's how I think about discipleship. I don't know why it's always coffee, but one-on-one discipleship. And it could be someone growing younger in your faith, or you might need to have a season where you say, you know what, I don't know if I'm mature or ready enough to bring along someone younger in Christ than me. And that's okay too. It might then be, what if you were to serve in our family discipleship? Like I said, I've got three kids, seven, four, oh, we're almost in birthday season, six, four, and one and a half, almost two. You could definitely show them what Jesus looks like to you by helping family discipleship. You could also get engaged in middle school. You could also do high school or even college ministry. But I would ask you, consider, what does it look like to fulfill the call of taking off the old Self, putting on the new self and showing this one another and teaching and admonishing one another. But there's a third category here. We have Paul, find someone to invest in you. We have Timothy, find someone to invest in. And Barnabas, get in community. Most of the, most discipleship in the Christian life falls in this bucket. At least that's been true for me. We don't have time to talk about Nick and Sean and Stephen and Scott from high school or Nate and Michael from college and still today. Or to talk about Tony and Ben and Danny and Michael and Brian or Marshall and Tom. All these men have been speaking truth to me, pointing me to Jesus, correcting and instructing me. And that's not even mentioning a tenth more men and women, singles and couples that have spoken truth into my life, my wife's life, and our marriage. You probably are recalling in your mind now some list of brothers and sisters who have pointed you to Christ, admonishing you and teaching you to mature in him, our hope and glory. So we're coming back to that original part. Where, where, do, where do relationships fit in? How does this one anothering fit in? Coming out of college or CEO, how many of you were part of the CEO program here? Okay, I'm seeing, this is encouraging. It's like really good, intentional, intense community, isn't it? Like accountability and you meet often and you study the word and you go deep. And then you graduate, and then you become a member, or maybe you continue your membership here at Bethlehem, and it just feels different. I don't know. I, I always try to find what words this is. And I used to think it's wrong. Like, you're not doing enough to pursue intentional community and accountability. I don't think that's right. I think, it's, I think there's a push-pull there. But there's definitely something different. So where do these Barnabas-like discipleship relationships get forged? And I love like I said, I started out this young adult community. This is a place to have those starting of those connections. And yet this is still too big. Like, I don't know, like, I, I, I mean, I'm here teaching and you have other teachers coming, but it's hard for me to know you. It's hard for me to say I walk with you day by day and I, I'm seeing something. But maybe I want to point you to scriptures and what God's doing. So we need an even smaller community. And I think there's still small groups that are part of this young adult. So if you're not plugged into one, get plugged into one of those, because that's where we can start doing this more life-on-life, admonishing and teaching with one another. And I think that there's beauty in getting as close down to you can, where someone can sit across the table from you and say, you're in sin. You're in sin. (laughs) Repent. And at the same time saying, you have died to that in Christ. And you've been raised to life in Christ. Walk in the newness and the truth that I know is yours in Christ. There's something about that interaction that can happen face to face that 
is right and good. So, but what does this look like? Like you're probably, you might be saying, Ryan, that sounds a lot different than what I have now, and I'm not sure what that looks like. I have three ideas, and then we'll close. And are we still doing a Q and A, Daniel? No. Um, we could do. It. No, I'm I'm going too long. That was the list. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here's some three ideas, and then we'll end. What is mutual instruction and encouragement? How many of you, when you sit down to meet with somebody, or maybe in a small group, you say, I I've been reading something. Can I share it with you? It's been challenging me, encouraging me. I don't know what to make sense of it. Do you start a conversation with that? It's like awkward. Like to say to you, I've been reading Colossians 3.12, and I'm realizing that i got to put off this old self and put on this new one. But like my individualism can't do it. I've got to do it in community. That's one way that we can mutually encourage and strengthen and instruct one another. Or share a song. I was thinking of, you could share a song. Like uh, Christ is All by Matt ba Boswell and Matt Papa. It talks about a lot of the truths that we hear, have here in Colossians. Say, I'm so encouraged by that song. I recommend you check that out and be strengthened as well. Thank Good. I'm grateful for that. Mutual correction and warning. Like one of those newfangled cars. I don't have them, but like you drift out of your lane and go, ding, 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 ding. Seek the Spirit's wisdom if you made observations in someone in your community with and approach them in love and wisdom to teach or correct them. And it's more than just quoting a verse. It's coming alongside of them and showing them the counsel of Scripture and saying, I know you have a better identity in Christ than what I'm seeing in you right now. Third thing that, that this type of community would look like is it takes humility and gratitude. I want to add this in as Paul in Colossians repeatedly writes of gratitude and thankfulness. And putting on this love as a willingness to say, I have the same goal. I want to be made and be more like Jesus. I want to put on the new self more and more. I want the old self to be gone in a way. Would you do that with me in humility and gratitude? So those are just some ideas of what it could look like to pursue a Barnabas-like community, but it doesn't exclude look for a Paul or join one of those programs, Titus 2 for women or intentional discipleship for men, and then also prayerfully consider who God might call you to pour into in this next season of life, or in this season of life, as we together put on the new self, teaching and warning one another through the scriptures. And I'll say this to close us. There's one thing that was absolutely right from that email that I clicked on that gave me FOMO in my inbox. We need each other, and we were made for connection. And Paul has in view here from Colossians that we need one another in order to flourish as we are designed, to be made more into his image until the day that we can see him face to face. So would you pray with me? And then I'll turn it back over to Daniel. Is that right? You can do some q and Oh, well, we can do some q and if you'd like. Let us pray. Father, I have nothing but my own wisdom to give. And I'm thankful for your patience and perseverance with me and with each one of us that as we are already decisively saved from our sin, we are growing into the rootedness and image of our Savior, Jesus. So would you take these words that as we try to pursue what it looks like to take off the old self and put on the new self that is renewed by the image of our Creator, by knowing and savoring and delighting in Jesus, would you do that work in us? It's a mystery, but we need your Spirit to work in that. 
for the good of not just us individually, but us as a community, for your glory and fame and our joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Young Adult Ministry at Bethlehem Baptist Church, North Campus in Moundsview, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at bethlehem.church/youngadults.